Awesome. So I'm continuing with the series that we started two weeks ago. Uh, Pastor Bill, if you remember, started this series on the names of God. And he introduced us to the first name of God, which is the Lord who sanctifies us, uh, Jehovah Mkadishkem. Thank you, patience, for remembering. And so he introduced us to that name of God, that it is God who sanctifies us. And he explained what righteousness and sanctification uh, are and that righteousness is imputed on us and sanctification becomes a process through which God takes us. And then last week we had uh, our very own Pastor Carol who preached another amazing message on the second name of God, which was the Lord Elroy, the Lord who sees. And she uh, said to us that God sees nations. Uh, God sees nations, yeah, including Zimbabwe. God sees nations. <laughs> All right. I don't know why people are clapping, but anyway. Mugabe's children are welcome to this church, by the way. Ashes, if you see them at the door, please greet them with love. You're welcome here. And so she said, God sees nations. And secondly, she said, God doesn't only see nations, God sees you as an individual. God sees you where you are. God sees your family where your family is. God sees you at work. God sees you with your children. God sees you. And so today I'm continuing with a series on the name of God. And the name that I'm going to be speaking on today is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord Albana. And so before I go further into mentioning what the name is, we'll discover as we go. But I'm going to be camping in Exodus chapter 17 this morning. Um, I'm hoping that we'll be able to read everything in Exodus chapter 17 without you realizing how many chapter or verses you would have read by the end of the message. And so I've divided them into uh, sections. This is what Exodus 17 begins with. From verse 1 to 4, the whole Israelite uh, community set out from the desert of sin traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst. Then Moses cried to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. This is the time when they had crossed the Red Sea. They had seen the miracles of God. In fact, the Lord told them to stand back and watch what he was going to do with their enemies. Imagine you were one of these people. You literally stood back and watched these warriors drowning in the sea. You watched how they were coming after you with chariots, and you were seeing them drown in the sea. And they saw the miracles of God, and the Lord then commanded them to move from one place to another. And they get to this place called Rephidim. Now, Rephidim in, in English means a place of rest. A place that is supposed to have tranquility and peace. They get to this place and I believe in their mind they're expecting to find rest at this place. 
for various reasons. One is because the Lord is the one who commanded them to go there. And because they knew that they were following the will of God, they were going to experience the benefits of his will. But they get there and there's no water. I want to say this. Sometimes it does not mean that when you are in the will of God, there is no adversity. These people were commanded by the Lord to go there and when they got there, there was no water. An adverse situation is not an indication of the absence of God in your life. And sometimes being in the presence of God causes the enemy to be jealous of you. And there is where you experience your most fierce attack from the enemy. It's when you are in the will of God. The Lord commanded them to move and they moved there. And there was no water. I mean imagine these guys were traveling in the desert. They had, they had donkeys when, you know donkeys drink a lot of water? And they just didn't only use them, they used them as transport. So they must have been so tired. They had, some of them were nursing mothers. They, they had young children that they needed to make food for. And you get to this place out of nowhere and you have no water. And then they did something which I believe so many of us as Christians do. They said to Moses, why? Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why? You could have left us there. And this is the thing that I think a lot of us as Christians do. Is that sometimes when we are confronted with adversity, we desire the comfort of our pain than the temporary discomfort of pursuing the will of God for our lives. And so, Egypt was not a good place for them. It was a place of pain because that's where their boys were killed, you remember? That's where their women were raped. That's where the young girls were raped. That's where their men were forced to work so hard and yet get nothing out of it. It wasn't a good place for them to desire. They had two choices. One is to go back to the place of their pain and experience a bit of comfort. Or just to experience the temporary discomfort of staying on course in the will of God and pursue the will of God for their lives. And I hear this so much when, you know, someone, someone was praying to the Lord when they were single. Praying to God, going on the mountain, having sleepless nights and praying to the Lord to get a husband or a wife. And now that you are married, <laughs> you are experiencing a bit of adversity. You begin to desire the comfort of your loneliness <laughs> instead of staying on course and pursue the will of God for your marriage. You were crying out to the Lord for that promotion and that job. And now that you've got it and you're experiencing some resistance, you begin to desire <laughs> The comfort of your place where you were previously instead of staying on course and pursue the will of God for that position. And so they said to Moses, Moses, why did you bring us here? Why didn't you just leave us? We were a little bit comfortable, although we were in pain, but we were a little bit comfortable. And sometimes as Christians, we content ourselves with the comfort of our pain. At least we know it than to be, you know, a little bit uncomfortable and stay in faith and pursue God. And Moses went back to the Lord and he cried to the Lord, What do I do 
with these people. And so the story continues in verse 8. It says, at the same place at Rephidim, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelite at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some men out of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. We'll continue with the story. At that place where Mo, when Moses cried to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, I want you to strike the rock and the rock is going to give water and people will drink. Now, I studied the Bible a little bit different. Now imagine like two million people drinking from a rock. I mean, that must have been chaotic. You know what I mean? You've got children. You've got children of different ages. They're all running to the water because they're thirsty. You have to, you know, water your animals. And I just don't know what the arrangement was. Like, I don't know if it was cues, lines. You, you can imagine the chaos that was there. In the midst of that, the enemy comes to attack them. I mean, they're vulnerable for God's sake. They're in the middle of nowhere. They have their young children trying to drink water from this rock. And then at that time, the enemy attacks them. Probably, the Bible doesn't explicitly say, explicitly say that here. But maybe they actually didn't have enough weapons to fight their enemy. Because they had just come out of Egypt. And so there weren't soldiers for them to be carrying out, you know, all these things. They probably were so vulnerable because they were so tired. In fact, when you read Deuteronomy 25, God was so upset with these people because God describes how they attacked the children of Israel. When they were walking in the wilderness and they were tired and thirsty, their women and children were lagging behind. And so what the enemy did is that he went from behind attacking the children and the women. Before Joshua and Moses realized that the enemy had already come in, it was already late because some of their women and children had already fallen uh, to the sword because of the attack of the enemy. And so the enemy attacks them at this place of vulnerability. You know, having been a Christian for some time, and sometimes you wonder that, that it is at the time where you feel most vulnerable that the enemy attacks you. And sometimes you, you wish that the enemy would warn you to prepare yourself for the adversity that he's about to bring in your life. It just feels like I'm always unprepared for the attack of the enemy because it takes me always by surprise. But I want us to understand who this enemy is. The Bible says the Amalekites attacked them. Now, I need to give you a scripture for this. When you read Genesis 36, we don't have time. I've got, I don't have it uh, there. Rather, I do actually. Uh, this is the promise that God gave to Jacob, who later became Israel. Let the peoples serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And I want you to underline that. Be Lord over your brothers, and, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Please, mothers and fathers, don't bless your children like this if you have other children. <laughs> You're just going to cause chaos. 
Okay, may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. And blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now this is the blessing that Jacob gets. Now who are the Amalekites? The Amalekites are the grandchildren of Esau. Esau was the older brother of Jacob. And so the Amalekites are cousins of the Israelites. And so they're attacking their own cousins in the wilderness when their cousins have nothing, literally. They have nothing. They have just come out of Egypt. For 430 years, they were in slavery. Their cousins were supposed to give them shelter are the ones who are attacking them and wanting to destroy them. Why? Why, why do you think their cousins wanted to destroy them? I believe one of the reasons that their cousins wanted to destroy them was because of this promise. Their cousins knew that the promise of God over the sons and the grandchildren of Jacob will stand for generations. And if we let them grow and become what God has called them to become, we are going to be serving them. Therefore, let us destroy them before they realize the promise that God has given them. A lot of the adversity that we face in our lives is not because we're good people. It's because of the promise of God in our lives. The devil is not afraid of how tall or how short you are. He's afraid of the promise of God that you carry in your life. Because he knows that the God who promised you is so faithful to fulfill the promise that he's given you. And therefore, he would want to do anything in his power to prevent you from realizing the promises of God in your life. He wants to stop them. Remember the story in Exodus chapter 2, and, and I think going forward, when, when Pharaoh started to kill all the young boys, he wasn't afraid of the young boys because these were innocent kids. They didn't know anything. He was afraid of the promise of God that a deliverer would be born in Israel. And therefore, in order to prevent the promise from happening, he decided to kill all the boys. When Herod knew in the New Testament that Jesus the king would be born, he wasn't afraid of Jesus the baby. He was afraid of the promise of God that, that a savior would be born in Israel. See, the adversity you are experiencing now in your marriage is because God knows that your marriage is a witness to so many people in the world. That when everybody around you is getting divorced and leaving their husbands or leaving their wives, when they look at your marriage, it becomes a testimony of the goodness of God. And the enemy is after that because he knows that your marriage, your career, that who you are is going to crush his head when you realize the promises of God in your life. And so he's fighting them, not because they're Israelites. He's fighting them because he knows that the promises of God for these people will come to pass. And they are the sons of the mother. And they will bow down to them eventually. And so we continue with the story. So Moses says this to Joshua. Because the Amalekites are here to fight with us. I want you to do this. Go in the valley. And we are going to go to the mountain and pray. So Joshua 
fought the Amalekites as, Mo as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Er went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron Er held his hands, sorry, held, held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with the sword. And Moses says to Joshua, I want you to do the following. I want to I show somehow how, how this may have been uh, happening. Moses realizes that the enemy has attacked them. But Moses somehow, as we read this, understands that this fight doesn't seem like it's our fight. We haven't done anything to these people. We've just come out of Egypt. We're going to the promised land that God has given us. That land is not even their land. We, we didn't even provoke them, but yet they're just coming after us. And so Moses understands that this fight has to be fought on the mountain. But also because the enemy is physical, it has to be fought in the valley. And so he gives us two things where I believe that apply to our lives today. It is the connection between the valley and the mountain. That whatever happens on the mountain affects what happens in the valley. But can I have four men, please, if just four volunteers to, to illustrate this? Thank you, Alan is wearing one of my favorite brands. He's wearing a Levi's shirt. Sorry, Levi's, if you're listening to this message, please give me some royalties. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Yeah, four men can count, guys. <laughs> four, four. Without a lady's help, we've gotten the number right. Um, <laughs> Alan, sorry, if you don't mind, please. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 TK says five. No, 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 it's four. Well, plus me. Uh, <laughs> so... If you don't mind, please standing there. And uh, you guys, if you don't mind, close to the speaker there. Um, now, this is, this is what's happening. Um, I'm not Moses right now, but I'll pretend to be Moses. Brafana will be Moses in a moment. <laughs> but Moses says to Joshua, I want you to go in the valley and fight. Now, this is the valley. I want you to go and fight because the battle is just as physical as it is spiritual. But I want us to, to fight both fights. You will be fighting physically and we are going to be on the mountain fighting spiritually. But we need to do both in order for us to succeed in this thing. Because whatever I do on the mountain affects what happens here in the valley. Because every time Moses lowered his hands, the enemy prevailed. Now, I'm not a scientist. If we've got physicists here, I don't know what relationship exists between raising your hands and shooting someone. Do you understand? I don't know how by raising your hands would make your sword stronger to penetrate someone. I think it's a spiritual thing. Do we agree? 
And so Joshua is in the valley fighting. Moses, Aaron, and Er are at the mountain. Initially, Moses just thought this was going to be quick, and so he raised his hand. When I was reading this scripture, it reminded me so much of my brother who used to punish me quite a lot growing up. He wouldn't beat me because my mom would start crying if he started to beat me. So what he would do is just he, just, he would give me a hiding, and then I'd say, just put your hands up and be on your knees until I come back. So the moment he walks out of the room, I would lower them, and then when he comes back, and then I'll put them back up again. <laughs> But it's not an easy thing to do to keep your hands raised for a long time. And so Moses had his hands raised. And please have your hands raised, brother. Both of them, if you can. Thank you. You're not wearing an Arsenal jersey, so don't worry. It will. And, <laughs> and Moses is praying. And every time he does this, Joshua is winning in the valley. But then Moses begins to get tired. Because this battle is going on for too long. And so Aaron and Er realize, before you guys help, they realize that Moses is getting tired. And so what do they do? They go and get a stone, the Bible says. And please sit on it. And then they said, Moses will sit here. And then this is Aaron, and this is Er, and please go under him and hold his hands up. And the Bible says when they did this, Moses kept his hands up until sunset. Now you've got three men together at the mountain praying. I don't know what they were talking about for a whole day. Maybe they were singing songs. Maybe some of them were reciting scriptures from Genesis. Maybe some of them were talking about the politics in Egypt. How it was so horrible. Now they're here at the mountain now their children are in the valley. They run the risk of losing their entire families. Or maybe they were just praying in the spirit and giving God praise. The Bible doesn't really say much about what these men were doing except that Moses had his hands raised. But every time he did this, Alan here is winning. I want to say this to us before I give us what this means. Because <laughs> I see people still wondering, what, what is this? The first point I want to make on this between the valley and the mountain is that sometimes the valley is the physical place. It could be your workplace where you need to work and you need to do physical things, where you need to exert effort. But this can never be successful outside of this. You can work as hard as you want. But if you don't have the hand of God on your job, you will not be as successful as God wants you to be. Because Joshua is important to be here in the valley and to continue doing what he's doing. He has to fight because if he stops fighting, the kids and the women are not safe. He has to continue doing But Moses at the same time knows that he has to continue doing this connection between the natural and the supernatural is important. But they realize he's tired. I want to open this bracket before I say this. There is, uh, for some of you who have been exposed to biblical theology, there's something in theology called typology. Now, typology is the use of 
shadows in the Bible. It's the use of models in the Bible to speak a message. All right, for instance, John says this when he saw Jesus coming to be baptized. He said, Jesus, you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so by then we understand that the Lamb who was in the Old Testament, the, the sacrifice for the atonement of sins, Jesus is the one now, okay? So that's typology. Jesus is not a Lamb in the physical sense, but Jesus is a type of the Lamb. Does that make sense? Now, in Christian circles, sometimes this typology message is abused. You know, people use now everything that sounds like it could be a nice revelation to make sure that it's a typology and it connects somehow typologically, which doesn't really make sense sometimes theologically. But here I have a typological case that I want to present to you. The Bible says Moses initially had his hands raised, but he started getting tired. Eventually, they took a rock and he sat on the rock. Now, this is Aaron. Now, this is Ur. Aaron, the Bible calls him the prophet because he was to be the mouthpiece of God. He was to be the spokesperson of God. And so he is the prophet. He is Ur. Ur is from the tribe of Judah. And the tribe of Judah was given the responsibility of kingship to rule. And so he is the type of kings. So we have the prophet and we have the king. And then we have the law who is Moses. All these three systems are systems that God used to bring his people to himself. God used the prophets. God used the kings and God used the law to draw people to himself. But the Bible gives us a picture that this was not sufficient to give the victory that was needed in the valley. Because the law started getting tired of being the law. And every time the law would get tired, it would be insufficient to fulfill the salvation that is needed in the valley. And so here is the prophet. He's holding the law. And there is the king's. The three systems that have been insufficient in fulfilling the salvation mandate of God that is needed in the valley. And the Bible says they went out and got a rock. It required the presence of a rock and for the Lord to sit on the rock in order for Moses to be able to hold his hands up until sunset. And so they get the rock and Moses sits on the rock. Who is the rock? Who is the rock that needed to be the foundation upon which the law is going to sit and the prophets and the kings would all be sustained by that foundation so that the salvation that is needed in the valley will be completed. And so they get the rock. I want to give us a few scriptures of the rock for Alan, who is theologically correct. <laughs> Genesis 49 verse 24 says, God is the stone of Israel. Deuteronomy 32 verse 37 says, He is the rock of refuge. Psalm 62 verse 7 says, He is the rock of our strength. 2 Samuel verse 20, chapter 22 verse 47 says, He is the rock of our salvation. Isaiah 26 verse 4 says, He is the rock of ages. Matthew 21 verse 41 says, Jesus is the cornerstone 
of the church. And 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4 says, He is the spiritual rock that quenches our thirst. And so I want to say this, that they needed Jesus Christ to be the rock upon which the law will be founded and the prophets and the kings so that the salvation will be done. And so we see a picture of what the grace has provided. Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill the law. And so God did not come to discard the prophets, nor the kings, nor the law. But he knew that all of these outside of him being the foundation would never succeed to bring all of us to himself. And that we needed him to be the foundation of our faith in order for us to experience the salvation that God requires for Come on, give, give these guys a hand. Thank you, Alec. Thank you, gentlemen. And so Moses sits on the rock. Then our message continues. <laughs> our message continues. Exodus 17, 14 to 16 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Do you know perhaps why God wanted Moses to make sure that Joshua hears it? I think one of the reasons that God wanted to make sure is that so that Joshua knows that it wasn't just your strength in the valley that prevailed against the enemy. It was the power of the connection between the mountain and the valley that brought about this victory. So Joshua, don't fool yourself that it is your strength that has acquired all this thing for yourself. Make sure that Joshua hears this. Because I will completely brought out, blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it the Lord my banner. He said, because hands were lifted, were lifted up against the throne of the Lord. Now Moses understands that this enemy wasn't after us. He was after the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation because they understood this battle was against God. It wasn't against them. And so Moses says the Lord is our banner. Now for those of you who like points in the sermon, I wanted to give two points. The first one, is that the Lord is your strength. The Lord is your strength. I don't know how you're feeling right now. Maybe you're feeling like the children of Israel in Rephidim. They're vulnerable. They're weak. They feel like everything is coming against them. They can't run anywhere. They can't go back to Egypt. Maybe you're feeling despondent and hopeless. But I want to say this to you. The Lord is your strength. It's your strength not only when you're weak. The Lord is your strength even at your strongest. In fact, the strength that you may have is the Lord's. Because the Lord is your strength. David says this. If the Lord be my strength, of whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? If God is my strength, of whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? And the second point is, God is your victory. I don't know why Moses didn't say, this is the Lord who fights for us. 
but he says, this is the Lord, our victory. Sometimes, God is not so interested in the fight. He's interested in the outcome of the fight. Because he knows that he's won the battle already. And Moses says, the Lord is my victory. Now, the banner was a symbol that was used when you occupy a land. You would put that banner there and say, this place belongs to me. And so when Moses says, the Lord is our banner, he's saying, hey, the Lord has taken the territory of our enemy for us. The Lord has become our victory. I don't know what kind of adversity you're experiencing right now. But I can assure you of this, that the Lord is your victory. You might feel like you're losing. It might sound like the enemy has the upper hand. But I want to assure you of this, that God is your victory. That you are not going to lose. Hey, do you agree with me? <laughs> you are not going to lose. Because God is your victory. God is your victory. And the last question I want to end with is that God can only be your strength and God can only be your victory when you have Him as your foundation. So who is your foundation? Let's stand to our feet. Who is your foundation? When you experience that kind of adversity that you may be experiencing now, who is your foundation? Because Moses understood that in order for them to win, they needed the rock. They needed the rock. I'm inviting you right now. Maybe it's in your business. You've left the Lord out because of deals that you know are corrupt and you couldn't pray for them. And now you're experiencing trouble. People who are supposed to be paying are not paying. You feel guilty to go back to the Lord because like, Lord, I knew this thing wasn't right. You have this opportunity today to make the Lord again the foundation of your business. Maybe it's in your single life where you are tired of waiting and you decided to compromise and went for a lady or a guy that you knew wasn't the will of God for your life. But because you are too tired of being lonely and by yourself, you decided to compromise and now you're experiencing so much trouble and adversity and you don't know where to go to. I'm inviting you today to make the Lord Jesus Christ again the foundation of your relationships. Could be anything. It could be the way you raise your children. It could be the way you relate to people. It could be in your marriage. It could be with your studies, your career. Wherever you feel like the Lord has not been your foundation, I'm inviting you right now. And so, Lord, there's no victory if you are not my foundation. I want you to take a moment and begin to invite Jesus Christ to come in that place.
and to become your foundation again so that you can experience the fulfillment of His promise for your life. And for those of you who are here, and this sounds so strange to you that who is this Jesus? I've never even given my life to Him. I've never committed my life to Him. I'm inviting you right now. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. Just wave at me if that's you. You know you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ and said, Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. I make you Savior of my life. If you've never made that decision before, thank you for that hand at the back. Anybody else, you know you've never made Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior. Family, I want us to pray this together. So with me, Lord Jesus, I invite you today to be the foundation of my life. Lord Jesus, I invite you today to be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you this morning that you are our rock. You are our foundation. You are our strength and you are our victory. Lord, we give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name. Come on, family. Let's give the Lord a round of applause. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.